Today's episode is brought to you by NS North. From April 10th to the 12th, come visit Montebello, Quebec, and join us at NS North, Canada's conference for developers and designers working on iOS, Mac, and watch apps. Throughout the weekend, you will participate in fun activities and learn from 12 great speakers. Talks will cover a range of technical, design, business, and more. Visit nsnorth.ca for more information. You. Hey. What's happening? Had some coaching this morning. Yeah? How's that going? It's going good. I enjoy doing it. It exposes me to new problems. See lots of code. Hmm. Core data concurrency this time. Mm, that's fun. Mm. Nope. Nope. To close my computer because I'm getting distracted by questions. Always with the questions. So what's happening? I, How's your week been? Week's been good. Yeah. Equal parts coding and coaching. Yeah. Enjoying it? Yeah. Did I just ask you that? Yes. Sweet. Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Phase. If Magical Record could go away, I would mm. be so happy. Yeah. Just having problems with it. It's uh, It positions itself as something to make core data easier to understand. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem, is that you shouldn't be doing all those shortcuts. You shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have something so easy if you don't understand what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. It's also doing some questionable things. Like if you turn on that new core data concurrency debug flag, mm-hmm. magical record just crashes all over the place. Hmm. So first thing we had to do was go in and like patch it, make sure it was threading correctly mm. just so we could start like working on the project with that flag on. That doesn't sound fun. It, yeah. So uses associated objects in a category on NS managed object context mm-hmm. to effectively make these things singletons. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you do that, it, it encourages you not to pass references around. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, you're not using the best parts of dependency injection or anything and like passing context in. So this object, you know, only has to worry about this. Instead, objects everywhere are just like firing up context to be like, sure, just grab this stuff and save it. Right. And it's terrible idea. Hmm. Disaster. <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> I have no experience with it. So, <laughs> Okay. I'm done now. Cool. And rant. Yeah. That's a bummer. That's always, that always sucks when you like go in to try to help someone with something and you're like, oh, I can't even start to help you because we have to fix these. It, it always doing that kind of thing always makes me feel guilty on behalf of the community (laughs) and on behalf of like the platform, like, like helping every time I have to help someone debug like linking errors in Xcode. Like I feel embarrassed that this is the world that I live in. And like, I'm sorry that you're getting exposed to this nonsense because it sucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like one of our coworkers, Ian, last Friday was working. He wanted to, you know, there's been this because of Swift and it's awesome. I love it. But because of Swift, there's been this uptick in interest internally in iOS and writing iOS code, right? All of a sudden, Objective C isn't a barrier anymore and Swift is a fairly decent language. And so 
people are like, oh, cool, let me try Swift. And so there have been a few people that have that have been come in and started writing apps and started working on like internal apps. And so our coworker Ian here in Boston was started up an app last Friday, I think, and was working on it and then pulled in Argo and immediately started getting errors. Just like it all built fine, but immediately immediately started getting errors that are completely indecipherable at runtime. It would like just crash at runtime. Wasn't doing anything. Just linking Argo into the project caused it to crash. And he was hmm. like, what the hell? And I'm looking at it and like, it was like one of those error messages that you have to know how to parse. And it was basically saying that in a, the most convoluted way possible, it was saying that Argo itself, the framework, couldn't find the Swift runtime. It's like, what? Why? Like, why? How could that? How could you even get it to this? point where Argo, like he didn't even have any code in the app he wasn't even importing argo anywhere it was just at runtime as soon as it loaded argo the whole thing came down because argo couldn't find the swift runtime it's like that is bonkers why is that and then today it turns out that well he was on beta one 6.3 beta one of xcode and we had been testing against Xcode 6.3 beta 2. And so when when beta 2 came out, I upgraded the pre-built binary of Argo for Swift 1.2, right? We had a version 0.4.2 of Argo is built specifically for Swift 1.2. So it's not source compatible backwards to Swift 1.1. There's a lot of version numbers being thrown around right now. But so I built that with 6.3 beta 2. Right and put it up on GitHub and then he and then uh, Ian installed it through Carthage, and that pulled down the pre-built binary, which is awesome. And then he pulled that into his project and it built, which is crazy to me because he was like, if you tried pulling in something built in in six point three beta one into six point three beta two, it would com- it would yell at you that this binary was built with an earlier version of the compiler and that you needed to rebuild it with the new version of the compiler. But it doesn't happen the other way. If you bring something built with this newer compiler, it looks for this newer runtime and it can't find the newer runtime. And so then it crashes. But again, like sitting there trying to help him with this, he's like, I don't know what to do. I just want to write some code. (laughs) And I'm, I'm like feeling guilty on behalf of, Xcode and Apple, right? Like I'm kind of, I was, it's embarrassing. Like I was embarrassed to have to be like, I don't know. Like I know what's happening. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know how to fix it. I thought at the time that he was on beta two, we had like a miscommunication. Like I thought he was on beta two. He didn't know that there was a beta two. So, and then, and then I was also operating under this, under this assumption that, well, you wouldn't even be able to bring this binary in because it's built with a newer version of the compiler and it should tell you about that, right? Just like apologizing on behalf of the platform is getting so exhausting. I'm so – like I feel bad because I know people – like I, I do know some people that work over at Apple now and like the Swift team has been great. But it's just like I'm – getting really really tired of having to be an apologist for the platform that i'm developing for you know what i mean like it just sucks it's so depressing yeah we we do deal with a lot of crap there's just there's so many it's just a constant deluge and none of them are 
major huge things but like it comes up a lot when I talk to other people that are outside of this where they go, wait a minute, you have to do this. And, and I realize that something we do is crazy. It's like, oh, well, yeah, like I have to do this because of this, you know, to work around this bug or because we have this limitation because of this limitation in the framework or because of this limitation in the language or because of this limitation in the process of shipping. Like there are these landmines scattered all over our day-to-day work that are just constant, like you learn them and you deal with them. And especially given that, you know, objective C and iOS, that's my first real platform to develop for. So, you know, I, I have stuff that I've completely internalized about the way we do things that has never been called into question as being crazy. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden being, in, you know, every now and then I'm in a conversation with someone and something comes up and it's like, oh, God damn it. That is horrible and stupid, isn't it? Like, why do we have to do this? And then, you know, and that's that's when the platform is behaving properly. But now, like, the the state of iOS and OS X now, which is just, like, a bug-ridden mess, those platforms specifically, you know what I mean? It's like we have buggy frameworks that we're working against, and then we have to write hacks to get around bugs in those buggy frameworks. But we also have to deal with bugs in our development tool chain you know, and bugs in, you know, the platform itself, it's just like, it's really starting to wear on me. Like it really, really is. Yeah. I think it's a bad sign that we need a, a maintenance release every five years. Apparently. Uh, yeah. But Why? And, and, the, and the, that's what I'm hoping for. Right. Like my, when we've talked about this offline, but my ideal OS 10.11 and iOS 9 is nothing. Don't add a single thing. Just stop what you were doing and go fix every bug you can possibly find. You know what I mean? Like, just knock it off with the yearly releases. Like, if you're going to do yearly releases, do an actual TikTok schedule where you do major release and then bug fix release and then major release and bug fix release. Do that. That's fine. But like this, well, from what it looks like, you know, this marketing push of like, oh, we have to have this X number of new APIs and X number of new features as a banner selling point every year. I think it's made these platforms worse, exponentially worse. Like I remember not too long ago when things actually did just work. Like to a certain extent, there were always things that were like, oh, yeah, it's a little buggy, but it's kind of this experimental thing. But there are things now that are banner features that have literally never worked for me. Before we came down here, I had to run four. I don't even know. Like, I don't remember what they were, but they were editing like at C files and changing system configurations in order to get that uh, in order to try to get the whole answer your iPhone on your Mac stuff. To get that working. Because that has never worked for me ever. What happens is I get a phone call, right? And I hear it ringing. Uh, and I see the thing on my on my computer. And I go, oh, cool. I'm going to try this out. And then I click accept on my computer. And it says, call ended. 
It's like, what the hell? But my phone is still ringing. So then I try answering on my phone. And then it says, call failed. And it just hang- it just disconnects the call. And so then I have to wait till they call back or I've got to call them back. And it happens every single time. And our uh, the managing director here in Boston, Josh, was like, oh, yeah, that happened to me too. I found these commands that like edit this etc file and change some system configuration level stuff. And if you do that, then it works. It's like... What f-ing platform is this? Sorry, you're gonna have to bleep that. But like, what, what, what platform are we on? You know what I mean? Like, why am I ru- editing Etsy files to fix banner features on OS 10? That's insane to me. And then I had to restart, right? And so then I restart my computer, and everything quits, right? Except it once it hits Safari. It says Safari has canceled shutdown. It's like, what the hell? And so then I'm like, retry. Safari has canceled shutdown. I look at Safari. No windows are doing anything crazy. There's no alert boxes. Retry. Safari has canceled shutdown. It's like, God, what the hell? I get out of that box and I hit command Q. Nothing happens in Safari. Nothing. I go, what? I hit, hit it like three more times. Nothing. I'm like... Okay, I hit on, you know, I click on the Safari in the menu bar, go down to quit, it's grayed out. <laughs> it's just not available as a freaking option. It's like, wh- what, what, is, like, how does, he, yeah. how does that happen? So I had to force quit it, and now I'm able to reboot, but the second I reboot, it just goes two black screens and my cursor, still active, like, I can still move my cursor on these two black screens, so I have to force it to shut down, right? <laughs> so then I'm like, this, I'm already so frustrated. And I hit, so now I manually turn the computer back on. I hit the power button, and it pops up, and, you know, the, uh, what's the file vault, whatever, right? So, like, log in before it actually boots. So I log, I punch in my password, hit enter. I see the, the progress bar for file vault going, and it gets about, two-thirds, maybe a third, maybe a half, something like that, through the progress bar, and then it stops, and all I see on my laptop screen is the normal background, and my main monitor is completely black, and I have my cursor that I can move between both. No idea. So I I do a hard shutdown again, and I bring it back up. The exact same thing happens. I go, what the hell? I blindly type in my password and hit enter and it logs me in because apparently that black screen on my main monitor was the login screen. It just wasn't displaying anything. Mm. I have that problem, but it's white. I've had that too. I've never had it black though. And then, and then because I had to manually do all this stuff, now I don't get the system restore stuff. Right now, I've got to, you know, remember like launch all my apps, and I guarantee you, there's going to be something two weeks from now where I'm like, oh crap, that hasn't been running this whole time. And then I got to pull it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like what? this isn't this isn't the platform that I signed up for all those years ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My thing is that on my iMac at home, I'm on ten point ten point two, and if I'm doing anything sort of bandwidth intensive, like AKA screen hero right yeah. while coaching my wi-fi connection drops reliably like every 40 minutes all of a sudden dropped i have to turn wi-fi off wait at least a minute and turn it back on 
and then it fixes itself. So the other day I found some guide that just had me nuke a bunch of P lists <laughs> out of the library. I did that and it, it fixed the issue for about a day and, and uh, it just happened to me again today. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't and know. This stuff, to do. Like I used to hear about these kind of things. I used to hear about these kind of things and people that had these kind of problems and I was just, but it was always the minority. And it never, I never had these experiences. It was always people, and I'm just like, man, I don't know. You're just attracting bugs. This is crazy. You know what I mean? But it's so widespread at this point. Like, I feel like everybody is having these same issues. Everybody is having these same problems. And it's not just OS 10, it's on iOS as well. Like, just constant, constant issues. Josh Clayton, again, the managing director here in Boston, he was having an issue for a while with his with his iPhone where he would, if he was on the lock screen and he launched the camera from the lock screen, you know, so you do that swipe up gesture, it would show the camera and then immediately turn black and the camera would just go away. And he was just, he was like, what the hell? And I'm like, I have no idea. I've never seen that before. And then two months later, it started happening to my phone. And then I, st- I asked him about it. He goes, oh, yeah, I found out it was something to do with Siri. It's like, what? Why would it? Be? He's like, I don't know. Like, I had to turn Siri off. But then when I went to go turn Siri off, that option was just missing on my phone. Like, I went into settings and where the switch should have been to turn Siri on and off. It just wasn't there. So he ended up just having to do a hard restore. <laughs> it's like, that is, that's, cr- like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the platform that we make money building products for. My biggest gripe with iOS right now, I, I can't believe this is still an issue in 8. I don't remember this being a thing in 7. If you're typing and you get a banner notification, mm-hmm. the banner notification blocks the main thread and your typing just pauses. So like whatever key you just hit is like stuck, you know, like all big because you just <laughs> tapped it. And there's just a massive lag in input. And then finally, like, the banner dismisses and then, like, you know, three words worth of letters, like, fills in. Like, I haven't had, like, keyboard lag like that since, like, I don't know, iOS 1.2? Right. Or maybe 2.0? Like, what the hell? Like, in all seriousness, can you imagine the shit storm you would get if you shipped an app any app as buggy as any of these parts of the operating system. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like you'd be laughed out of the freaking room. Seriously. Like if any of these, if any of these bugs, if you wrote any of these bugs, they would be, they're so glaringly obvious and so bad. Like people would immediately be like, dude, you got to fix that. That's horrible. Like how, how are you going to ship? How are you going to put that in people's hands? You'd be like, yeah, you're right. But then the subtext there is that is that like Apple's platform is better than that. You know what I mean? Like the reason that I feel like I wouldn't be able to put that app out there is because in my head, the apps shipped to the app store are generally supposed to be of a higher quality, right? Like, you know, because it's Apple. It's Apple's platforms. Things are pretty. Things work well. But that's so not freaking true anymore. And it hasn't been true for like two or three years at least. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the fact that, like, I love programming and I do love writing stuff for Apple's platform. You know what I mean? It's this weird, weird thing where I love writing stuff for Apple's platform. And I really, really, really enjoy Swift. But there's a large part of me that that is like, I can't 
I shouldn't have to, not that I can't deal with this stuff anymore, but I shouldn't have to put up with this crap anymore. You know what I mean? Like, why can't I just choose a different platform? When all this crap was going on today with my, with my laptop, you know, all the shutdown stuff, you know, I sit across from our CTO and I'm like, this is bullshit. (laughs) I'm like freaking out. And he's like, what's wrong? I was like, dude, I swear to God, if I didn't have to write for this platform, I would get rid of this computer right now. Like I can see the benefit in moving to something like Linux, where at least where in his words, so in Joe's, our CTO in Joe's words is like, you know, he, cause he's on Arch Linux and he's like, you know, on Linux, bad things happen a lot. But when they happen, there's a clear solution on how to fix that bad thing that just happened. It's, a, it's very transparent. You know, you run into a problem and there's a very clear solution for that problem. And once you fix that problem, you have fixed that problem. And there's an appeal to that, especially as a software developer. We're like, you know, you see, you see some API that works like a black box and you start going like, I don't know, man, like there's a lot of magic going on there and I don't know if I trust all that magic and I don't like the fact that I don't know how these innards work. And beyond that, like, I don't know how to reconcile if this API acts poorly, how do I fix that? You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like we avoid that kind of stuff as software developers. But meanwhile, we're sitting on these black box computers where things just go wrong and you just go, I don't know, it's a bug. And you know, messages it's always a bug in messages but it's like oh sorry yeah no i you just said messages and i remember that iMessage is going to be four years old this year and it's still buggy as hell that's ridiculous also we need to take a quick break here and pay the bills this week we are sponsored by our friends at ns north If you're in the business of developing or designing apps for Apple's iOS, Mac, and watch platforms, you will not want to miss NS North. At NS North, you will come together with your friends to learn new perspectives, new technologies, and new paths to profitability. This year will be held at the beautiful Fairmont Le Chateau Montebello. Over the weekend of April 10th through the 12th, you will have a chance to network, socialize, and learn from the experiences of our speakers from Canada and the U.S., uh, Georgia Dow from iMore will be kicking things off on Friday afternoon. And over the next two days, you'll hear from great speakers such as Krista Mergen from Rogue Amoeba, ThoughtBot's very own Gordon Fontenot, and Ashley Nelson Hornstein from Dropbox, to name but a few. A special team package is also available, which offers even more value when you send three or more members from your organization. Transportation will also be a breeze with ride sharing and free shuttle services available from Ottawa and Montreal. And the total package, including all your food and drink and two nights at the venue, comes to around $1,000. U.S. Companion tickets are also available, which makes it really simple to bring your family or friends with you to enjoy the five-star resort. Uh, note that you have until March 11th to be guaranteed a spot and the cheapest price for tickets. Please visit nsnorth.ca. I don't know. If I could switch platforms, I might, but I would be very sad if I didn't get to work on UI stuff yeah. anymore. Right. I can't just jump and be like, work on server stuff Right. because I would just get so bored. Like I enjoy making, you know, UI components and fun yeah. things to touch. Yeah, that's good. I honestly don't. <laughs> I think we were talking about this earlier this earlier yesterday, but about how just like nothing else 
on iOS sets off my imposter syndrome the way UI coding sets off my imposter syndrome. I immediately, immediately revert to that kind of, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. And like, this is going to be it. You know, this UI component is going to be the thing where they finally go like, oh, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And then I'm going to get fired. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I get so uncomfortable. I don't know why, but I get really uncomfortable having to deal with UI code. I much prefer doing lower level. That's something I heard from Keith too. Yeah. Keith prefers that. Do you feel like you just don't know UI kit that well? I feel like I know UI kit pretty well, to be honest. Like I really do feel like I know UI kit pretty well. It's just there's something about the way everything hooks together that has never clicked in my brain for whatever reason. Like I don't even know how to describe it very well. Here, I'll so I'll give you a concrete example then we can like talk about this. So we have in my project right now, I have to do I'm, – I'm, on Monday, I'm going to start this feature where it's basically a basement menu, but it's not actually a basement menu. So it's not supposed to slide out. It's not – you know the current content isn't supposed to slide away to reveal it, and it's not supposed to slide on top of the current content. Basically, what it's going to do is it's, it's almost like a page view controller to a certain extent. So you tap the hamburger button, and – the existing the content that you're looking at slides off and this menu-ish thing slides on right so the content of these views isn't important but that's fairly straightforward but there but even there because of limitations like i'm not going to use page view controllers i'm not going to use scroll views there like it, it is going to have to be use view controller containment like there's something about the the way that views get nested and the way they interact with each other and the fact that you're dealing with like time and frames and visual stuff and there's like some math involved under the covers you know what i mean like there's something about that that sets me on edge but then you that would be one thing but then then the big thing for me that I'm going to need to figure out is, so you tap this, this button in the top left in the nav bar, right? So you tap this button and the views start sliding. So the old view is sliding off while the new view is sliding on and it's coming from the left, right? So it's not, it's not like a normal push transition. It's actually, they're just replacing from the left. And as I honestly have no idea how I'm going to do this, but as the drawer we're calling it comes and gets 44 points onto the screen. It should look like, and it's going to be a cool effect, but it needs to look like it catches that hamburger button. And now the hamburger button traverses the navigation controller so that once the drawer is fully visible, the hamburger button is in the top right as an indication that you can go back in the other direction. It's weird, right? Yeah. So the thing you're animating from is a nav controller? I think so. Unfortunately, okay. I'm not I'm not Yeah. I'm it, this is an existing app. We just started on it this week. And so I'm not 100% on the architecture right right there cuz I didn't write it. Um I'm just supposed to come in and add this feature to it. Um and I, I don't want to talk I mean we don't we don't need to talk about the specific implementation details, but like that kind of thing 
I know it's possible, but it's extremely intimidating for me. Like, really, really intimidating. Whereas, as much as I disliked it, I wrote, like, a little thin wrapper around AB Address Book and had to deal with those C APIs. And that was frustrating. But that was not daunting to me at all. You know what I mean? That it may, It's a little bit apples and oranges. I think that this UI feature is a little more – is more complex, relatively speaking, than the wrapper was. But my point is that, like, any time – that request caching stack thing, right? We talked about it on the show a while back, right? Where I had, I needed to readjust this network stack so that it sent requests into this cache object, which then would try to purge itself so that you could have this offline cache of requests that was then able to be replayed once the user got back on the network. That was a fairly complex thing. And that was not intimidating for me to write at all like it like it was intimidating in that it was like this is going to be complex but it wasn't intimidated like i was really afraid of not being able to do it (laughs) which is how i get and it's not just with this is how it's that's my knee-jerk reaction to basically any ui level thing it's like oh i don't know i'm not a good ui developer right like i'm not i'm not (laughs) that's what pops into my head immediately it's kind of frustrating it sounds like it's a problem with UI code kind of makes it where you have to hold two things in your head at once. One is the sort of the values in the code itself, and that part's fine. But then you also have to, at the same time, understand how those values end up making things get drawn and yeah. make sure that's correct as well. Yeah. Whereas with lower level code, you just care, okay, in this method, this is in scope, this is this, this is this, this is this. Right. In case transform, boom, everything's good. Right. But at the same time, you're doing the same thing in UI code and also thinking like, okay, well, this is thing is going to be like, you know, like 40 pixels off to the left and then it needs to move over here right. by the time this thing happens. Right. You just have to hold more state in your head because it's stateful code. Right. And I hate that. Like I really, like I really do. Like the other side of this is that like I dislike writing UI code because I think it tends to be gross you know what i mean it it tends to be stateful gross hacky code any like that doesn't look like nice code when you're saying like put this x position here set it to this number and this y position to this number it's like ugh, <laughs> it feels stupid lots lots of methods lots right. of well-named methods that right. do even if it's just a method that wraps one line of code right helps so much yeah, I'll try that on this. I'll try just more and more and more methods. But I wish this wasn't the case. Like, I really do. And I've heard this from a couple people. But, you know, like you said, Keith said the same thing. And I, I'm I'm wondering if it isn't more prevalent than I tend to think. You know what I mean? Which is kind of, you know, basic imposter syndrome stuff. But, mm-hmm. um but I don't know. Like that's why that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed like the last project that we worked on together because he was like anytime any of this came up is like, oh hey Mark might be interested in doing this UI feature. And I could just hand that off and I could work on you know whatever low level stuff. It got me out of a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> that worked out well. Yeah, I wish I do wish I enjoyed it more than I did though because I feel like it's probably a hole in my. Maybe not abilities because, I, again, I don't think that necessarily my concerns are grounded in reality. So not necessarily my abilities, but it would be nice to be comfortable with this part of my job. 
Whereas right now it's kind of something that I dread to a certain extent. Dread might be strong, but I'm always kind of like, there's always kind of that worry in my head of like, oh, am I going to have to do again? Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome, hundred percent. There's no question here about, about the fact that this is just stupid internal dialogue nonsense that isn't based in reality, but it'd be nice to not have that. Yeah. That stuff is so interesting to me. Like everything else that I do is all in support of getting things on screen. Mm-hmm. It's like that's what I'm trying to get to. Right. So it's like I have to go make this network request and get this data. Like, ugh. ugh. <laughs> like it's fine, but it's not interesting in any way. Huh. It that could be because I, you know, I got into programming from being a designery type before right, right, and wanting right. to implement things. So I think that's right. That's why I am the way I am. Yeah. For me, the thing that I love writing more than anything are like frameworks. I don't know why. I love writing frameworks. I love thinking about external APIs. I love thinking about like, how is this useful? Is this useful? Should this be included in this, you know, this thing that other people can use? Like, that's where I'm the most interested, even to like liftoff. Like I see liftoff as a framework, not as like an app. You know what I mean? Part of that is that it has a command line interface. And so command line interfaces, I can work with those. Like that's 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 in my wheelhouse. That's not that's fine. Talking about flags and stuff. I can do that. You know, and then beyond that, it's just all about like trying to you you're just dealing with this, it's all low level code at that point. You're just dealing with kind of these discrete objects that do one thing. You can really focus on architecture, you can really focus on clean, maintainable code at the smallest possible level and then reuse that in other places. And I love that. I have the same interest, but for UI code. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like building widgets, controls or whatever. Yeah, I wasn't trying to say that like all UI code is horrible. It's just that UI code in my head, right, is horrible. I think my UI code is fairly horrible, you know. (laughs) But, you know, again not based in reality, blah, blah, blah. but like in my internal image in my head of like what that code looks like is like gross and not good. And then the in the image in my head of what lower level code looks like, or, you know, internal application code looks like is clean and architected and stuff, which is stupid. So I don't know, maybe this will, maybe this week will help break this down a little bit for me in my head i'm always available to pair yeah if you'd like i would i'm gonna hit you up from this okay yeah so anyway my talk title got announced so thanks oh, for really? that yeah where on nsnorth.ca slash speakers maybe 100 percent credit i want to see to it. you you want to see it actually i want to see how it looks. printed out yeah i want to see it in print <laughs> I'm the third person on that page. That's weirding me out like crazy. You don't feel like you deserve to be number three? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, yeah. That's a good title. Good work, me. Yeah. So the title of the talk is How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Functor, <laughs> which is great. And then I immediately got scolded for using the word functor. <laughs> Because I've been saying that, I've been saying this whole time that I was going to talk about this stuff without using the words functor, <laughs> without using the word functor, and then the first thing I did was put it in my talk title. <laughs> I think that's awesome. 
just get it out of the way. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I can't decide if I'm gonna. Use, so, so the talk. The talk is gonna be about map, basically, and chunks of it probably. I have come out bits and pieces on this show about kind of my thoughts on the matter, but the idea is that it's gonna be like a lower level, kind of like a baby step intro to functional programming concepts. Not not necessarily like kind of getting away from operators and getting away from words like functor and just like looking at very specific concepts from functional programming that are useful today in Swift with no extra baggage, no no libraries, no nothing. This is just built and you know totally built into the way the language wants to work, which is cool to me. Are they doing video? They have done video in the past. That's all I know. Like, I'm assuming that they're probably going to do video, but they're not saying one way or another yet. So, we'll okay. see. I got to work on it this weekend. I got to make another run at it and try to get through this last section, the last two sections that I need to write. And then I need to do the talk. And then I need to realize that it's probably about a half hour too long <laughs> and cut it back. Because this is only supposed to be 20 minutes, 25 minutes, which is pretty quick. That's so much better than feeling like you need to stretch it out. Though. Yeah, I'm specifically so. – I'm, I'm actually intentionally leaving things in that I'm like kind of iffy on um, because I know that it's going to be better in the long run if I have too much and then have to cut stuff down than if I go like, holy shit, this whole talk is five and a half minutes long and I spent two months on it. <laughs> you know, That would suck. <laughs> call them up be like hey can i do a lightning talk instead <laughs> you know also will you still pay for my plane ticket <laughs> it'll be good yeah all right want to wrap it up yep let's end this show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 76 We'd like to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. I'll uh, I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye, Gordon. (laughs) What? (laughs) Bye, Gordon. That's weird. (laughs) All right.